Hi, I'm Deb Hunter, and welcome to All Things Tudor, the podcast that blows the dust off the history books and brings the world of the Tudors roaring back to life. Each episode will bring you awesome guests and topics, stories, and revelations. The power, the sex, the scandals, the romance, and the ruthlessness. So join me, and together we'll pull back the curtain and discover the real lives of the Tudors. Hi, welcome to All Things Tudor. I am Deb Hunter, and we have a special edition today. Lacey Bogger-Milas, one of the editors at Pace Magazine, is here to talk about The Serpent Queen, which is now showing on stars. Lacey, how are you doing? Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I loved this show, and I just, I'm, A, I'm obsessed with Samantha Morton, so I'm ready to talk about it. Oh, well, let's go. Let's just get right into it. We know you're editor for Paste. Your article on the Serpent Queen has gone viral in the All Things Tutor Facebook group. So tell us everything. <laughs> um, I love this show. I love this show. I have seen I've seen the first five episodes, so I will try not to be like too spoilery, but I just it's so good. I think it's really important to look at sort of the way that we portray historical women in media and the fact that one of the things I love the most about the show is that it doesn't like require uh, the its female lead to necessarily be like a good person or a person who was positively remembered historically speaking, which like, let's be real is just like, how do men remember her? And the show is incredibly forthright about the fact that she had to make a lot of bad choices out of a lot of bad options. And it doesn't apologize for her, it doesn't ask her to be a victim. It's got incredible performances throughout it. It's just, who is so good. I love stars so much because of their female-focused historical dramas. And this, I was, I will, I was admittedly a little worried about this one because it's really their first one that's not about sort of the Tudor family specifically. And it, it just, it blew me away. It's great. It, it really is, and it does tie in with the Tudors because. Mary, Queen of Scots, as we know her, was Catherine de Medici's daughter-in-law. And I'm sure the series will get into that. Do you feel like, I loved what you just said um, about how men saw Catherine. She was portrayed as being ugly. She was portrayed as being ruthless. But, you know, Americans see ambition in a different way than maybe anyone else on earth. So that may not be seen as a bad thing here. What do you think? I think it's really, I think uh, one of the, I, I'm sure you guys also watched and talked about the stars drama Becoming Elizabeth a great deal. But one of the things that I loved about about looking at that show was it kind of reminded me that even the way re we remember like Queen Elizabeth I is very, it's very kind of grounded in what a male version of like a strong or a great woman would be. You know, like she's Gloriana with the heart of a man standing against the Spanish Armada. And that's just a very masculine image of of a woman in power. And I think this show really does step away from that because so much of what Catherine does is soft power. And so much of how she holds on to power throughout her, I want to say, she I think she had some form of power in France for about 50 years. And 
and and a lot of that is because of her soft skills, her her ability to, you know, I, I say manipulate. I know that there a lot of people have like negative connotations with the word manipulate, but like survival is survival and I'm not mad at her for it. Like to sort of use relationships and and that kind of thing to hold on to her own power versus versus being like a, a male ideal. And I think I do. Unfortunately, I do think in our current society, we still kind of look askance at women who want to be more than like what they're kind of societally prescribed to be. I know we're getting better about that, but I'm just like, mm, we didn't really want that lady president, did we? A little too much ambition, I guess. Uh, I think I think we're changing in that regard as a society, but I still think it is something that people people don't always say ambitious woman as a compliment. And I don't think they meant it as a compliment about Catherine at all, even though I think, like, I think it's amazing that she survived and thrived in a world that didn't want her there. That's so true. The first episode, to me, really was the trope of poor little rich girl. It was possibly the wealthiest Mm -hmm. girl in the world. Um, Like you say, no one wanted her. She found a way to develop street smarts, which is something we really don't expect from extremely wealthy people. Um, Do you feel the same way? What was your takeaway from episode one? Um, I actually really love the actress, uh, Liv Hill, I believe is her name, that they get to play the younger Catherine because she's so um, she's she's so scrappy which I really was not kind of expecting in this portrayal. I think it's an interesting choice that they choose to have older Catherine, or rather Samantha Morton Catherine, I guess, kind of be the framework around the story of her own youth. I think it calls into question a lot of interesting ideas about unreliable narrators and who do we trust to tell their own stories and and whose version of the truth are we hearing. But... I also think it's surprisingly honest about how, I mean, she did not, she was she was a member of a very wealthy and powerful family, but she was not a terribly powerful member of that family. And all that stuff about her, you know, kind of growing up in the, I want to say monastery, but it's not a monastery because it's nuns, is like all of that is true. And, and basically she's sort of plucked out of, Again, obscurity is a relative term here, given who she is and who her family was. But, you know, she's basically used as a pawn and has no real say in whether or not she's going to go to France. And she just has to make the best of it, which women do not get enough credit for doing throughout history. That is so very true. The writing is excellent, I thought. What did you think? I do, too. Um, I love... Actually, you know what I really love is I love the fourth wall breaking, and I did not think that I would. There are, there are multiple scenes in which sort of younger Catherine and, and older Catherine as well, like, just sort of engage directly with the camera, either to, like, make some kind of commentary or even just do an eye roll about whatever's going on around them. And I thought I thought that was such an interesting use of that kind of narrative trick because so much again of what we know about Catherine was written down by men and I like the kind of framing of she gets to add her own little commentary in here as part of the story another thing I thought was great was I think the show does a really great job of kind of setting the table of where we are historically speaking for viewers because I know that while a lot of people thanks to years of media on this topic are pretty familiar with 
the Tudor family and the and Tudor times in England and, and kind of how all that works. I, I feel like a lot of people probably are not as familiar with Italy and France of the same time period. And I think this does a really good job of kind of laying out where everyone is, if that makes sense. It makes great sense. And it's almost like you read my mind, by the way. I was going to ask you about the fourth wall. I thought that was absolutely brilliant and a wonderful touch. So I'm with you on that one. Same. I was really ready to hate it, too, because some I, I think some do not some productions do not use it maybe as as well as as they might. And it's such a um, I know these days we're really kind of wrestling with like, what does a contemporary period piece look like and what does like a modern period piece look like and how can we have modern sensibilities framing these historical stories? And I think a lot of people use the fourth wall breaking as kind of like a crutch to be like, here's what this person is thinking because we didn't like tell you or show you through the rest of the story. But I think the way that they do it in this show really does add something rather than assume its audience is dumb. Oh, definitely. And I'm with you on the young Catherine and we have to talk about Samantha Morton. Is she fabulous or what? I mean, all hail, I say. She's so good. (laughs) I've loved her for so... I don't know how many listeners out there were big fans of Harlots, but consider this, like, I don't know how many times I've tried to get people to watch Harlots because it's incredible. Consider this my pitch to you all to watch Harlots, which is a three-season period piece about Edwardian sex workers, and she is one of the madams, and Leslie Banville, who I also love, is one of the others, and it is incredible. She's incredible. I even liked her on The Walking Dead, which is not a show that I normally drive with that much. But she she's just incredible. She's so good at this. There's something like so self-aware about her performance, too. I love um, I love the, the we only get to see little bits of sort of present day Catherine in the first episode. But I, I love the the kind of hints that she knows exactly what people are saying about her. She knows exactly what her reputation is. And she just leans into it. Like she's slinging around the palace in these like incredible black gowns and just looking like a witch and being like vaguely threatening. And Samantha Morton is so good at kind of inhabiting that double space of of the person she actually is and the person she's sort of projecting. Ugh. I'm gonna. I like. I said no spoilers, but just she gets. Oh, she's so good. Throughout the rest of these upcoming episodes, she just blows your mind. She does, and I, I just thought the entire production was spot on. Uh, the costuming, the casting, the writing, of course, like you say, all hail Samantha Morton, and I have to give this one an A plus. Me too. The Bolins. A scandalous family, an epic tale of hubris and ambition. They're all here, Thomas Bolin and his three children, Mary, Anne, and George. Elizabeth I also makes an appearance. The show premieres on PBS on Sundays, August 28th, September 4th, and September 11th. Also available on the PBS video app. Special thanks go to Georgia Public Broadcasting for their support of all things Tudor. I was, like I said, I was really nervous about this because I've really loved a lot of Stars' other historical shows. And this just felt like such kind of a deviation, both in terms of the historical period that it's set in and 
the the subject matter and I was really afraid they were just going to really lean into making her kind of like a Disney villain but they don't at all and yes A plus from B2 I can't wait to see the episodes I haven't seen yet. Same here. I'm just waiting for next week. And I tend to take these with a grain of salt because they are dramas. They aren't documentaries. And I I tend to like all of them. But this one, it just seems like everything is there for us. So I'm looking very forward to seeing what they have planned in our next episode. And also, I'm very jealous that you've got to see five episodes already. Uh, I wish I'm trying. Like I said, I'm trying not to to talk about them too much because I know I want everybody to enjoy them on their own. But let me tell you, I've seen five of them and I'm like, now I have to wait five weeks. Seriously, I want more. Well, why don't you come back in a couple of weeks and we'll talk about it more then? <gasps> I would love to do that. Great. I, and I'm sorry I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Another thing you found interesting? Oh, I was going to say one of the things I find really interesting is where they have specifically set this show. Because technically in the, I'm making air quotes that no one can see. Technically, the show is set right before Catherine's second son is crowned king. So that's like the present day of the show. So eventually the the sort of the sort of retelling the story of my life part is going to catch up to the present day. And there is just so much more ground that the story could still cover. I would love to see this show, I hope it does, go on you know, well past a single season because there's so much stuff about Catherine's life that I think is worth exploring. You know, it's interesting you say that. On Stars, it says season one. So with me being a writer and a historian, I'm, I have detective Ooh. instincts. <laughs> I hope your instincts are correct because I feel like... Well, if enough of us watch. Yes, go watch it. I want to see what happens when she's regent. Spoiler alert for history, but that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> My husband, I have to tell you, he was kind of taken with the fact that Henry was having an affair with a woman 20 years older than him. So that's also historically factual. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's really, I mean, I'm very much Team Catherine. I'm like, oh, Dan, why are you ruining her life? But but the show is really, I think, even-handed towards Diane as a person, which was something I was not super expecting. And I kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just me being like societally, we're all like, older women, oh no, she's past 30, better put her in a home. And I'm like, all right, Diane, get it. I kind of support that. <laughs> even though I don't support it with Catherine's husband. Exactly. But it, it is interesting how they show females in a positive light. So I, I do, I'm like you in that respect. There's a surprising amount of women on this show, too. I mean, I, I feel like, I don't know what I, why I was thinking there wouldn't be, because it's a show about a female ruler. But it, I often feel like in a lot of Elizabethan dramas, you get like, there's Elizabeth, and then there's all these other people who are all men. But... They, they do a good job, I think, of showing the different ladies-in-waiting that come to France with Catherine. Her relationship with Diane is very fraught for obvious reasons. And, and later, when Mary, Queen of Scots, enters the picture, that is also another intriguing dynamic. So, yay, ladies. Yes, absolutely. And one dynamic that is extremely captivating is Catherine retelling her story to the servant girl, who everyone simply calls it. Why do you think this dynamic is so intriguing? I think it's really interesting because I can't quite tell how I'm supposed to read Catherine's motivations here. Like, 
Part of me thinks that she just appreciates having a, a friendly ear to tell her story to and to be herself around a person who's not... I mean, most of her other servants are apparently like afraid to bring her breakfast. So I think on some level, she appreciates that uh, the servant girl, Rahima, does not feel like that. But then on the other hand, I also get the vibe that she kind of likes shocking her a little bit because we see that that Rahima is trying to be like a good Christian girl. and And I think Catherine is very much trying to give her the opportunity to uh how do i put that like indulge her worst self like and 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 maybe maybe get back at some of the people who've been horrible to her so i don't i don't really know i find it fascinating because i'm not sure how i'm supposed to read this relationship which is good tv you're absolutely right and i was shocked that after telling her story to rahima that she threw the tray off the table called her out and then it dawned on me as Rahima started eating her fruit, I think it was an orange, that she was actually giving Rahima... That it's kind of like a power move. Yeah, she was giving her the day off. She was giving her something the rest of the servants couldn't have, which was a piece of fruit, and she was giving her a day off so she wouldn't have to work. So was that the underlying motive? She likes her, so she's setting it up to look like something different than it actually is. I, I thought I thought that was intriguing. I agree. It's it's really fascinating because I think one of the things the show does a really good job of, especially with the older Catherine, is kind of giving her really like like murkier motivations. Like I don't know if we're supposed to think she's an unreliable narrator. I don't know if we're supposed to believe everything that she's telling us. And I th- I think that's really, I, th- I think that's actually a lot better than, and more true to who this woman probably really was than, than just being like, here is point A to point B of what happened in her life. Because it means that, you know, I'm pretty sure she's telling this story for a purpose, and I just don't know what that is yet. So do you think that's our takeaway from episode one? Uh, our takeaway from episode one? Probably, because I feel like... I feel like the I feel like episode one does a really great job of setting the board, so to speak, and telling us, you know, showing us who all of these people are, showing us who Catherine is now and who Catherine was then, and leaving the door open to go in a lot of different directions. I think you're absolutely right, Lacey. And let's circle around in a couple of weeks. And if you have time, come back and let's see where the series is at that time. I would absolutely love to. I'm like, please give me more reasons to talk about the show. (laughs) Well, let's do it. So thanks again, Lacey, for joining me today on All Things Tudor. And special thanks to our listeners for making the magic happen. Please subscribe to the podcast. Enjoy it. And have a great day, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to All Things Tudor. My thanks go to listeners, my husband, and my team. If you like what you hear, leave a review, follow wherever you get your podcast, and share with your friends to help others find the show. Join the All Things Tudor Facebook community to connect with tens of thousands of Tudor history lovers. You can also connect with me across social media at the Deb ATL.
Thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all later.